From the headquarters of the United Nations Development Program, this is Nature for Development, the podcast about nature, people, and sustainability. I'm your host, Julie Capavari. For this episode, we're joined by Emily Cadiz, Program Director at Hui Maika'aina o Makana. We introduced you to the work of this Hawaiian organization in Episode 7 of the Nature for Development podcast series on community-based resource management. So naturally, the Hui is a community-based organization in Hawaii that's dedicated to preserving traditional ecological knowledge and pursuing a range of initiatives supporting the conservation and sustainable use of agricultural areas, sacred sites, and watersheds in the face of climate change. Emily is currently the program director for Hui Maka Ainana O Makana and has been working with the Hui for the past six years. Emily is responsible for all education programs and outreach on and off-site and the Hui's liaison for research collaborations in Haina. She received her bachelor's degree from University of Hawaii Hilo in Marine Science and her master's from University of Hawaii Manoa in Natural Resource and Environmental Management. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Aloha, Julie. Mahalo for having me and mahalo for the opportunity to share about our Hui Maka'ainana Omakana organization in Haena on the island of Kauai. Mahalo. Thank you so much for making the time. It was really great for our UNDP team to meet you in New York last September when you visited to receive the Equator Prize 2019, which recognized your organization's contribution to sustainable development. And so it's April now, and there have definitely been some major challenges in the world since the last Equator Prize ceremony. So how have you personally been holding up given the COVID-19 pandemic, and how has the HUI been adapting to this challenge recently? Oh, yes. There has been a lot going on since we last saw you guys in April, um, which, by the way, was an incredible opportunity for our Hui to receive that award and go to New York and um, definitely was one of the greatest learning opportunities for us Also, definitely huge mahalo thanks for that. And um, we're still riding on the momentum and the excitement from that. So Things for us since this COVID-19 pandemic has been difficult, but nonetheless, we've been finding um, opportunity to really catch up on our taro farming. Um, We've been cleaning up our curatorship property and just taking time to tend to projects that that we were kind of set back on due to the big floods that happened in April 2018. We had that really big rain that came through. And so... um, It's now that our education programs have been put on hold and our community work days, we've just been able to focus on just our immediate active members and just fully work on farming and taking care of the property and and taking care of our structures on the property. And so that's been really, really great. and just trying to get our lo- our loies or our tarot patches back up and running so that we can continue to feed families in the area. The lo'i and the fishery in general have been a safe place for our hui members to come to come to during this time of social distancing and the connection that our families have to this place just continues to renew their spirits and helping to provide food for their families, which just reinforces why we do everything we do down in Ha'ena the, for the food security, the sustainability, the health, independence, and self-sufficiency um, really rings true more than ever through any, any catastrophe from flooding to 
a pandemic like this, it really reinforces why we do what we do and the need to do what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking on the bright side. Um, so I'd like to ask more about the Huey. The, um, what does the name Huey Maka Ainana Omakana mean? Uh, and for the rest of the podcast, I'll just say the Huey because uh, I don't know if I could pronounce that again. <laughs> um, and why was the Huey formed? Thanks, Julie. You're doing a very great job of pronouncing it, just so you know. <laughs> Thank you. I practiced. <laughs> so the, just breaking down the name of the nonprofit, Hui means group organizations or gathering. Maka Ainana has many definitions. It's commoners, the eyes, the stewards, the people living on the land. Um, I really like what one of the uncles said when I asked him to kind of define it for me. He said Maka Ainana. If we break up that word specifically, maka is eyes, and I, that which feeds us. So really, maka ainana together is the eyes watching of of the things that feed us. Um, And makana, it means gift, but in a sense too for ha'ena specifically, it's the name of our famous mountain in ha'ena, makana. So our curatorship property is right at the foot of of makana, this mountain that um, you are in its presence when you're standing at the property that we caretake and so um so yeah that is hui maka ainana o makana it relates to the name relates to the organization's work because our the families the kupuna the ancestors they really are the eyes the hands the stewards that guide the work that we do um the hui was formed well before the hui was formed there was another hui called the hui kuai aina um, which was a group of Native Hawaiian families who purchased the whole ahupua or the whole watershed of Haena. And our nonprofit today consists of those descendants from that original hui, um, which formed our nonprofit today, Hui Makaainano Makana. So we're like the next generation from that, that original hui, which was kind of cool thinking about doing the math. We're looking at about 145 years later today, here we are long withstanding relationship of families that have tended to this place. Um, Haena has a very, very unique land tenure story and one that I wish that I had time to go through and I would encourage those of you that are interested in learning more about Haena can provide a great book resource for you. But um, to know Haena and just kind of how our hui was formed and how we got to where we are today is to understand kind of that land tenure and just kind of how land was transformed over time in general in Hawaii through through things like the Mahele and the Kuleana Act, which was all very important events for land tenure in Hawaii. Um, but basically, since the Hui was formed in 1998, the Hui has had a curatorship agreement with the state parks. As I said, our curatorship property is is within a state park. Mm-hmm. And so basically how we came to be is that in the in the 1990s, our Hui, our Hui families, community leaders were had concerns for Haena State Park. It is the breadbasket for the community over there. Um, the health of the fisheries and the lo'i were completely overrun by visitors and mm-hmm. be, definitely became a tourist playground. Uh, one community member says, I mean, it's just a number one on a tourist destination of places to visit it's just was being loved to death which was a big contrast and shift for a lot of the families and community members from that side because 
Ha'ena is one of the most sacred parts of, of not just Kauai, but Hawaii in general. It is so much cultural significance to that place, very famous stories and archaeological sites, just very, very well-known, um, very sacred place. So to go from a place of such high reverence and sacredness to this place that's open and free for all for everyone was definitely a big shift. And so in order to kind of get a handle on that, the Hui initially started to try it from a sovereignty approach and just going against the state, but quickly realized that fighting for sovereignty wasn't and working against the state wasn't getting them to where they wanted to be. So instead they formed this nonprofit to reestablish their relationship to this place and as a way to create an entity that would have um, that would allow them to have a better relationship with the state, work with them, gain trust, gain a better partnership, and have them as an ally and an asset rather than working against them. And really ever since then, the saying has kind of been that the Hui has really, through this, become community-led and government-supported. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this Hui is very unique in how it came to be. It's one of the most intact ahupua'a, or watersheds, from the mountains to the sea in the state of Hawaii. We have a very unique par partnership between the state and Limahuli Garden and Preserve, which is in our upper watershed. So you're really looking at a full-on modern-day ahupua'a, or watershed, which is just looking holistically, and this community, this nonprofit, having a voice in everything that happens from what we say Malka to Makai, from the mountains to the sea. And um, that really is Maka'ainana, that is the eyes, that is the voice, that is, that is this hui. That's such an inspiring story, Emily. Thank you so much for sharing that. I would really like to know more about the specific work that you do and what the communities do to uh, care for their local environments. Since you worked with the state to establish uh, a community-based subsistence fishery area, right? And I know that global fish stocks have been really uh, dwindling over time and hundreds of millions of people rely on this resource, but this natural resource is open access. Anyone could go and, and fish and overfishing has really been occurring globally. And it's really the epitome of, of tragedy of the commons. But I know that community-based management is a really good governance solution to combating this issue. So what exactly is a community-based subsistence fishery area and how has it benefited the local community and in Huey and what are the ecological benefits as well? So the community-based subsistence fishing area is a management tool that reaffirms and protects fishing practices customarily and traditionally exercised for the purpose of Native Hawaiian subsistence, culture, and religion. Um, specifically for Ha'ena, the goal of our CBSFA is to sustainably support the, the consumptive needs of Ha'ena people through culturally rooted community-based management that recognizes and responds to the connection between land and sea and strives to restore the necessary abundance and balance. There have been many ecological and socioeconomic benefits since this CBSFA. Um, it's helped to provide food security for our remote community. Our CBSFA rules also um, look at restricting certain fishing gear from being used. Okay. It's also the elimination of commercial take and the establishment of, um, of a puuhonua, which is a 
protected area that the community recognized as certain a certain place in Ha'ena is known as a nursery for juvenile fish and, and the community really wanting to protect that and, and making sure that that nursery doesn't get disturbed. So making that as part of um, the CBSFA, along with community monitoring and enforcement um, to collectively ensure that the nearshore fishery is healthy and sustainable. I would also add that I think too through the CBSFA, we've learned that although many a people talk about overfishing, conversation has gotten like out of context where we're starting to understand if you look at your fisheries, you're also looking up top at your mountains and what's what's happening from the top to the bottom. And so to blame just overfishing, we can't do that. We have to look at what else is happening. Um, development is our fresh water getting to our oceans. There's so many other factors and I think people just go straight to blaming overfishing, but it's really, it's a collective system. And that's one of the greatest things that, that has been a benefit of Ha'ena being this intact ahupua'a and having a voice and working with the state and working with Limahuli is that we're able to recognize that it's a that this is a holistic system. There's more than than what we think and we have to look at the whole system. We can't just point our fingers at one thing. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And I'm I'm totally guilty of it, it seems very simple. Um, oh, fish stocks are declining, so it must be overfishing. But you're right, it, we really just need to rethink our whole system in that case and also our relationship with nature. And so it seems like this was really a long, sustained process for the Huey. It was 20 plus years of work at the grassroots and policy levels. And finally, your organization secured a groundbreaking agreement with the Hawaiian government to establish one of these CBSFAs or community-based subsistence fishing areas. And really, I congratulate you. I can't even imagine what kind of effort went into that. And that's such a key precedent for not only Hawaii, but the whole Pacific. Uh, would you be able to mention maybe what one turning point was throughout that whole process? You know, there were so many, so many turning points, but I think the one that stands out most to me um, was the amount of years of, of community outreach and just the effort that took place during the rulemaking process that built an understanding of why this would benefit the community, um, which really alludes to the dedication, perseverance, and leadership of the Hui. People like Uncle Tommy Hashimoto, Uncle Presley Wan, Uncle Kili Yalapai, Chipper, and even the organization Kua Aina Ulua Wamo, who um, I know you got to do a podcast with Kevin Chang, mm-hmm. Debbie, and also Uncle Mac Poipoi, who also received the Equator Prize Award with us um, from Molokai. Um, to me, that was the hugest turning point was because of because of the leadership, people who were in disagreement of the of the CBSFA movement of these rules we were able to talk to them and and explain why we're doing what we're doing because the opposition there was a there was quite a bit of opposition not just within the island of Kauai of communities on the other side of the island but across the state and i just remember kind of going to one of the meetings with one of the with some of the uncles and 
you know, there were fishermen from the other side of the island that were just in disagreement. They didn't understand. But by the end of the meeting, Uncle Tommy, Uncle Press, Uncle Kili'i, they just had their arms around these young fishermen in tears and just and just saying, this is this is why we're doing what we're doing. We're trying to do this for our place. We're trying to do this for our next generation. Like we're trying to go back to to allowing the people of that place to take care of that place. And to me, that that spoke volumes. To me, that that is the reason why one of the hugest reasons why the Hui was so successful in the CBSFA is because of the leadership, because these uncles could easily turn a blind eye and just say they're in disagreement, forget them, or like turn turn their backs on people who didn't want to support this. But truly taking the time that that years and years of outreach to make sure that they confronted, that they talked to everybody, that they heard everybody, heard their concerns and tried to navigate that was just monumental. And um, I really think that when you have good leaders who care about the collective, who care about what other people think, um, you go a lot farther. And I think that was a huge turning point for the Hui's work in, in this successful outcome. People really look to them because of that leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really so touching, those kinds of anecdotes and all of those people and how they came together and did so much outreach to share a collective vision. It sounds like a really emotional journey, but it turned into such success and it's really an amazing story and that leads me right into my next question. I know that a core belief of the Hui is to uphold and maintain traditional ecological knowledge which I know is very important to the community and do you mind telling me a bit about what exactly traditional or place-based ecological knowledge is and how the Hui uses this to inform their work in fisheries management? Yes, traditional ecological knowledge is really the base and foundation and informs and guides everything that the Hui does. Not only traditional ecological knowledge, but um, this term that I kind of heard during my master's, this idea of indigenous epistemology, which is not just how knowledge was passed on, but how knowledge was created and constructed. and tapping into that process. Some examples of how traditional ecological knowledge has been used in our organization's work. First and foremost, of course, the CBSFA rules. The community was very very much researched, very much interviewed. Um, A lot of kupuna or elder interviews of traditional ecological knowledge came out through those interviews, which then informed what the rules would be based on honoring that TEK. For example, the Pu'uhonua or that that place, that no-take zone, that kind of place of refuge that we established within the CBSFA. Through the interviews, many kupuna talked about that place, that nobody would go there and because they knew that it was a, a, a nursery for juvenile fish and just a very important nursery habitat um, mm-hmm. in letting baby fish grow. And... Um, so that helped to inform that that place would be protected as that. When I was working on my master's thesis at the time, the mm-hmm. we have a, the CBSFA, the state, they didn't have a, a monitoring program or protocol in place for communities when they got this CBSFA designation. So uh-huh. a lot of 
traditional ecological knowledge really was the was what built our monitoring program i come from a marine science background but in learning from the fishermen the uncles from this place we really made sure that tek was what honored and was was the way that the community assessed resource health it wasn't western tools would come in to support it but the traditional ecological knowledge really guided us in in empowering the community the fishermen that their ways of knowing resource health is sufficient enough and i also do want to highlight too that i'm i'm looking at this map right now of haena many years ago through the kupuna interviews there was somebody that documented all the traditional names of the reefs across the whole haena Ahupua'a. And so that that in itself speaks huge to traditional ecological knowledge. Not only did the Ha'ena people fish in their own areas, but there's stories of families who tended certain reefs. I like to kind of use the example as not only were these families very specific in in gathering in their own places in this in their Ahupua'a in Ha'ena, but going to specific reefs for specific things. That's how in intact they knew that this reef was known for this resource so that was really huge i like to say it's like going to a grocery store but knowing exactly which aisle to go down for Mm -hmm. exactly what you needed and to me that visual in itself like just speaks volumes to the amount of traditional ecological knowledge that this community holds and to this day you hear fishermen talk about going to certain reefs and they still use these names and, and working with the with the youth you hear them using these names and so that is just a norm for them like they it is it's just second nature they use those names as if it were ne- it was never lost there's so many examples of of that in haena and this community is just so so connected so very connected to um, the knowledge and perpetuation of the practices of their place right yeah, I really liked what you said about how you walk into a grocery store and you know exactly which aisle to get exactly what you need. And those are kind of things that you can't uh, know as either um, someone who is not local to the area or someone who just has quantitative data or just pure pure science, right? And I love I love that idea that when people are so connected to their local environment they care for it and they stay in their area and they don't deplete resources they sense changes in their environment and that's a really important tool and indicator for for climate changes as well so yeah for my last question i'd like to know how can we follow in the huey's footsteps for our listeners who might be interested in implementing some kind of community-based subsistence area whether it's fishing or even farming what would you recommend as the first or most important thing to note? I think the most important and first initial step is what we what we would say is just building a strong sense of community and partnerships. One of the hardest things about the community-based subsistence fishing area that the uncle guys would say is that defining community is such a difficult thing. And that's speaking of tragedy of the commons and just like the ocean just from traditional times being very part of this ahupua'a management system to now today being this open common pool resource that everybody can access. 
that has been really hard for the community to to define because when going for these rules the state had asked if they included or heard the voices of all the different stakeholders involved the kite surfers the wind surfers the tour operators all the different stakeholders involved in using this resource and um, again, because of the leadership of the Hui, instead of turning their backs towards not believing in recognizing and hearing those voices of those people, they did. They approached everybody and made sure that those voices were heard, that they knew what the Hui was trying to do, but also understanding that we should hold a different weight to all these different stakeholders, our subsistence fishermen who are using this resource to provide for their family should hold a very different standing than those in recreational uses of a place, especially when it comes to food security and that kind of thing. Um, so I definitely think building a strong sense of community relationships is the biggest thing. Um, there's a really great old African proverb that Kevin Chang had told me, it's, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And I think that too has been a very important thing. Um, I think many a times you see some of these movements happening and people just want to go through them so very fast and they look behind them and they've lost so many people along along the way. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not what we want. It takes years and years and years for these things to build, to build time invested into these things, to build a trust with your community, with your people. And uh, when there is disagreements, putting the brakes on and regrouping, regathering and working through those things, because in the end, you need the collective, you need everybody to be a part of this if you want it to be successful. And if that means moving slow, then you do that. And um, I think the Hui was very successful in, in doing that and making sure that it was something collective in giving it a little bit more of a Hawaiian proverb. One of my favorite Olalo no Ea or Hawaiian proverbs is which means a fisherman of the shallow seas only uses a short line, but a fisherman of the deep sea uses a long line, which basically means you'll only reach as far as you aim. If you're willing to dive to the depths of all the layers that should go towards towards these kinds of things, you'll, you will reach far because it is a process. And many a times I look at these older uncles and families who are working towards these things, but if we're not training the next generation, then all the hard work that these uncles and families have put in will be for what if there's no nobody to follow, nobody who's been learning. So I think it's really about prioritizing your community needs and really looking at the long term that you're building a movement with everybody involved. The last thing that I would like to say, one of my favorite quotes to, sorry, lots of great quotes to kind of just as words of advice for people. They're great takeaways. You you picked really great ones. (laughs) Great. Um, I think the most important thing is that it's realizing it's more than fisheries, it's more than co-management, it's more than research. Um, When you talk to local communities, it's really about what we, it's called pilina, it's relationships. It's about building, maintaining relationships, healing communities. And so a quote that really resonated with me that one of my mentors, Pelika Andrade, had shared is a quote from Gus Speth, a U.S. environmental lawyer. And he said, 
I used to think the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address those problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy, and to deal with those, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation, and we as scientists don't know how to do that. I think that's what we've learned in this journey is that when we invest in people and we invest in relationships and we go through this transformation together, if we look at it from that way, we'll be more successful than just pinpointing it on, on simply just about fisheries and, and management and research. It needs to be, at the end of the day, we're all human and we just want to work together and address these things. And it's, we will be successful when we look at the holistic picture of healthy people, healthy communities, and what we call Hawaii Aina Momona, which is a thriving and productive people and place. And that's the movement we really want to create. Thank you so much, Emily. That was really, really informative and inspiring. And I definitely agree. It's, it's way more than natural resource conservation sometimes. It's, we're doing these for humans, so we shouldn't exploit humans in the process. We should not bypass them. We should include them, include their voice, and allow everyone to participate and back up this this collective effort. And so I think that's exactly what your organization's doing, and I'm really inspired by that. So thank you so much for sharing the impressive accomplishments of the HUI, and it was really a pleasure to learn from you. Mahalo, Julie, and mahalo, everybody, for listening in and allowing Hui Makainano O Makana to share a little bit about our journey and um, hopefully something you can take away into your community. Mahalo. For our listeners, we hope you join us for the next episode of the Nature for Development podcast. Till next time. <laughs>